I'm Dr. Michelle Plaster, and you're listening to Between Two White Coats, a weekly podcast where we dig into key issues surrounding health and wellness. I'm a family medicine doctor, and my co-host, Amber Foster, is a family medicine nurse practitioner. In our combined 30 years in medicine, we've seen a lot. We are taking some of our biggest questions, obstacles, and patient-centered advice and wrapping it into a 20-minute weekly podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have found this podcast helpful, give us a five-star rating and review. This helps other people find our podcast. And make sure you share it with your friends. Thank you for your time. We look forward to serving you. In last week's episode, we met Amber's dad, Reverend Michael Wilburn, who shared with us how neglecting his health nearly led to an early grave. This week, we pick up Michael's story as he begins the long road to recovery. We hope you enjoy. And I was probably headed to the grave. And um, when he said, how long has it been since you felt well? I thought, well, this has been my way of life. I didn't know I felt bad. Right. I think that's such an important point, because when we say, how long has it been since you felt good, define good. You know, we see people that they have so far... And, and if you went from feeling like you did at, at 30 when you first were given your first blood pressure pill to feeling like you did you know, two weeks prior to your cardiac event and one day, you would have known you felt lousy. But it is slow and insidious and, and you have so many good explanations. I have had so much going on at work and I didn't sleep good last night. And so, of course, I'm tired. You know, we can justify a lot of things to keep from believing things that are uncomfortable. Um, we can also forget what good feels like. And so, you know, you're dragging and you know that things aren't what they used to be, but you say, well, I'm not 20 anymore. And so you get a lot of explanations for why you don't feel good, but the path to not good is normally a slow, gradual one. And it's really hard because compared to yesterday, you didn't feel that much different from day to day, but compared to pre-diabetes. There's a couple of things you say that I just want to point out um, some medical uh, importance to. One is uh, when they're cutting off your clothes and getting you to the cath lab. When I was a resident in Chicago, when we did anything in the ER, when you sat down on a toilet in the ER as a doctor, every door you looked at, every stall, every door said, time is heart muscle. And there was something posted that drilled every chance they had. They drilled into our heads. Time is heart muscle. You can't go to the bathroom without remembering that. Um, Because the amount of time it took for you to be negotiating with God in your car to get to that um, fire station, to get down the road to the hospital, you were destroying heart muscle. And you were getting that clog that wasn't going to be able to be unclogged um, and, and return the blood flow to your heart. So getting you into that cath lab in less than an hour was everything and keeping you from having significant congestive heart failure now to getting the pump to be able to not have permanent damage. And I think that is such an important message because when you are at home wondering if you're having a heart attack, You should not be at home wondering if you are having a heart attack. I am 100% on board with saying, and I say it at least 10 times a day, I'd rather you be in the ER and find out that you don't need to be than to be at home and find out that you needed to be in the ER. And so when you are thinking something's wrong here, 
That is whether it is the God in you saying it's time, get there, or whether you just feel that gut, that is time to go. And, and when you give those people in the emergency room that advantage of you got there faster, they stand a better chance of saving your life. And that's exactly what they did. Because had you waited and had that clot been more profound, your heart could have stopped. And so, you know, that is, I think, important. Time is muscle. Don't be at home having a heart attack. Um, and then I think the other really important thing is when you wait and wait, it becomes things that we can't even fix the biggest problem because of all the other problems that have been lingering. By the time that you have stage two or three kidney disease, you've had uncontrolled high blood pressure or diabetes for many years. Um, and what we need everyone to know is a diagnosis of high blood pressure doesn't kill people. Keeping pressure that's too high kills people. A diagnosis of diabetes doesn't cause kidney issues, doesn't shut your kidneys down. Keeping sugars that are too high shuts your well, kidneys down. Well, and that down. would have been found on a preventative visit. You know, yes. like those are things that we check. We do a, you know, CBC, CMP, and that's going to show us where your kidney is and what your sugar is. Right. And so there's a few things that I think had, um, had you sat with a physician a year prior, um, we ask, how are you feeling? And certain things start coming up. Um, get an EKG and start potentially recognizing, maybe not, but potentially recognizing that there's some cardiac issues certainly would recognize without question on a preventive wellness visit that your blood pressure was too high. Certainly would have recognized on the labs that are done to just about almost every age group on a preventive visit, all adults, that your sugar was high. Well, and dad, I mean, he's lost a ton of weight, but and it, I mean, his he was morbidly obese. And so even just that neck measurement, you know, like when people have the thick neck, like I'd have, he'd have been screened for, you know, he'd got an epworth sleep first. Apnea. He'd have been screened yeah. for sleep apnea. Absolutely. And the untreated sleep apnea, making your risk Even of everything else and so including cardiac and, and making your sugars worse and making your blood pressure worse because of not treating. You know, so you were in this bad snowball where one thing uncontrolled was making the other things worse until finally the snowball came crashing to a halt. Um, so you spent some time in the hospital. Uh, one day you were a man with no medicines and no proper diagnosis, um, a forgotten about hypertensive diagnosis. And then you go home from the hospital and now you're a man with at least six new serious diagnosis, lots of medications. Um, I heard that you had a coach that ended up helping you as you ended up going back home. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um of course, as Amber, you know, she used the words morbidly obese. Um, I, when I went in the hospital, of course, you know, they're asking questions. They said, how much you weigh? I said, oh, probably about 250. Well, I was about 50 pounds, almost 50 pounds shy of two. You were 294. I'll tell the exact way I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I was heavy uh, and I knew that, uh, you know, all the diagnosis, like you said, uh, I was told I had three blockages uh, and uh, it was not going to be able to be treated through stents or anything like that. I was going to have to have open heart surgery, which uh, terrified me. Uh, it just wasn't the physical things that I went through. It was the emotional things uh, being told you have to go home and you have to sit for about five or six weeks. We can't do surgery. 
for about five to six weeks, you're, you're physically not able to make it through surgery. So that let me know I was at a point um, that I had to make a choice. I either had to live or I had to die. Of course, I wanted to live. The one thing that my wife and I are blessed with is just we, we have two wonderful children. Um, but Amber understood the language that they were talking. I didn't understand the language. My wife didn't understand the language. It was doctor after doctor coming into the hospital. I was in the hospital, I think, four or five days, maybe six days. Um, and I was seeing almost a new doctor every day. And they were, they were saying things. And Tina would take notes and she would call Amber. Uh, I would encourage people, you know, if you don't understand the language, find somebody, you know, that, that understands what the doctors and nurses are telling you. But we went through that. And if I could just interject, I think that, you know, not everybody's blessed enough to have a nurse, a brilliant nurse practitioner as their daughter. Um, but everybody does have access to have a primary care physician that you have a relationship with. And so um, not only is it good to come in into your wellness visits once a year when you're feeling OK or more often if you have things wrong, um, because we can find stuff and we can prevent or or get on things before they go really south. But it also develops a rapport with someone that can interpret for you. It's not unusual that we have patients call us and say, I've got someone in the hospital and I don't understand. What about this? What about that? And we can be that advocate for them and we can help turn all the medical language and the rush of doctors in and out while they're doing rounds, which is just a whirlwind when you're hospitalized. And so your primary care plays a really important role of helping to guide your healthcare and be the captain of the team of doctors that you may end up getting someday. Um, you know, we communicate, what did the oncologist mean when they said this? Let me tell you exactly what they mean. Let me tell you what I would do if you were my mom. Um, and so you can have those, re but those are important relationships because if not, you're asked to make some decisions and you're not even sure what decision you're being asked to make. And, and that's, that was, that was our advantage, you know, by having the coach, um, what, by the time I got home, uh, my wife, uh, and Amber, they basically looked at me and they said, we will help you, but you've got to help yourself. Amber had told us everything. She said, you know, dad is not good. Um, and, uh, so my question is, <laughs> what do you mean is not good? And she said, well, if you want to live, you know, you have to start doing these things. And of course the doctor, um, as you said, you know, is the advocate. I was blessed to find a heart doctor or God placed a heart doctor who just happened to be at the hospital the day that I was taken in. He was actually there. He was not on call. He was not working. He was there looking at computer systems for his office. And um, he just happened to be there. And so he was the one and he not only became a doctor, but he's become a friend. And so, um, which we can talk about that later on, uh, some of the things that he's done for me beyond the scope of my heart disease. But uh, he connected me, of course, with Dr. Casterline, uh, began to see doctors. You know, then I saw uh, the heart doctor, the heart surgeon, uh, the endocrinologist. Pulmonologist, uh, sleep apnea yeah, doctor. Another whole realm in itself, uh, because I was so out of whack. I had to start losing, you know, the doctor said, you've got to lose some weight. So I began to walk a little bit. Amber uh, 
gave me the coach. Let me put, I should say the coach Amber. Yeah. Uh, Amber got assigned the title of coach. It was by the, like, it was the, the hospital. hospital. Had a the hospital said coach. Right. And boy, did she ever embrace that. I did. And for all of you patients that are Amber's patients, you know, you know she's a heck of a coach. So <laughs> definitely Michael wasn't going to have an easy coach. You know, and so, yeah, um, of course, um, my wife and my kids wanted me to live. I have grandkids, you know, and um, I still get emotional when I think about the things that I put them through during this process. It's, it's just not a patient that goes through things. It's the family that goes through things as well. And the things that I put them through during that time, I know that they love me. I know that they care for me, but they went beyond. Um, I say they went beyond. They, I'm, I'm sure you do it for every patient. Um, there, there comes a point I had to make the decision. And so Amber said, you know, Dad, you got to lose weight. The doctor said, you've got to lose weight. So I, she gave me 15 food items. I had variations on those food items. Uh, and I began to lose weight. And by the time I, uh, my, my heart surgery was scheduled for July 11th, I believe was the date. Um, uh, and I had lost about 35 pounds, maybe 40 pounds. And the doctor was very pleased. Um, at that time, uh, I went in for heart surgery. I followed the rules. Amber literally made a path inside our house. For those of you that, uh, know Amber or, you know, you don't know Amber. Amber is either all in. And if I had chosen not to do it, she'd have been all out. She just said, dad, go ahead and die. Um, and, uh, but literally, that life insurance for me. <laughs> and, and it was, it was a walk from my den through the kitchen, through the dining room, back through the hallway. And, and it started off maybe one time around, you know, just, I, I was so physical. I didn't realize how tired, how sick I was. Let me put it that way. I was a sick man. Uh, and so I began to do that as the weather, you know, it was late May or that was May, June, July. I started going outside and walking. And by the time I had my heart surgery, I uh, was having, I was walking almost four miles a day. And my heart doctor, when I, I went to for post or pre-op, began to talk with him about the thing. And he said, you've done so well. And he said, tell me about your exercise. And he said, had I known you were walking that much, um, he said, I'd have set you down. Um, so, you know, I know that there was some physical things that I exerted myself, but I also know, uh, my wife calls it managing the miracle. I have been given a miracle. And of course, my story goes beyond just the heart, but um, the miracle that we began to manage again um, I had coaches beside me. I had people at a church who was beside me and praying for me and supporting me. I had a great big support system. And that's important um, when you're going through a health journey. And uh, uh, I went into the, for heart surgery on the 11th, I think it was of July, went in thinking I was having three bypasses. When I came out, I had five. Uh, they had bypassed the stent, so I had four others. The doctor asked me after the fact, he said, when did you have a previous heart attack? I said, I've never had a heart attack. I said, other than the one on May 28th. He said, no. He said, you've had a heart attack. Uh, your heart shows damage. He said, you, you had a heart attack prior to that. So I'd had two heart attacks. Um, and literally, 
began a journey then, uh, of course, was in the hospital for about a week. Uh, heart went into AFib on two different days, so I had to deal with that. Uh, had a panic attack one day. I think it. I think what really took place was my heart went into AFib, and I knew something was not right, and I panicked in the hospital, and I remember shaking so severely. I thought I was having a seizure, and finally the head nurse came up, and she sat on the bed, and she looked at me, and she said, Mr. Welburn, you've got to get a hold of me. <laughs> That's a good nurse. You know, that's a good nurse. And and she was a good nurse. You know, I had wonderful nurses. I had, I mean, it was just, it was great healthcare and and went home and um, started a process. And I remember um, the heart surgery, you know, the doctor telling me things. He said, it's going to hurt. It's, it's, you're going to be very humble. He said, you're going to not be able to do things for yourself then. So your family's going to have to help you do things, you know, and uh, I remember all that and walk through it. Uh, I don't remember the pain. I, the only way I can compare it to would be like a woman probably having a baby. I hear, the, I hear women say, you know what? I remember, but I don't really remember the pain now. You, 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 you don't remember what you went through to get you where you are. Uh, but at, at, at my four week post-op, um, my heart doctor released me. He told me it'd be about an eight to 12 week process. We were having a new grandbaby in September. That was my goal to be ready and to be physically able to be able to travel in September. He told me it would, it would be pushing it at my four week checkup. He said, Mr. Welburn, he said, you go back and do everything that you have previously done. Uh, he said, you have done so well. And, um, of course I was eating right. I was, uh, walking at that time as good as I could, uh, you know, maybe I, it wasn't a mile probably even. It was just the heart walk that I was doing in the house. Uh, I was, I was listening to people who cared for me. Uh, and that was not just my family, but it was my doctors. Uh, and so, uh, that's, you know, in, in the middle of August, beginning of August, actually, um, I had, I had done well and uh, thought that I was on a uh, journey uh, that would be, a, it, it just wasn't a quick fix journey. It had to be a, a decision to make a lifetime journey, a lifetime decision of, of changing uh, the way that I do things. And, it, and, and even saying no to some things, you know, as a pastor, I go, go, go uh, just the last nine weeks. Today, I went to a funeral. It was my 14th funeral, I think, in nine weeks um, from either family members, close friends, or people in my church. And so I'm surrounded by death. And uh, the things that I faced, friends who are younger than I am, had a good friend who passed away this this week. uh, And he was 51. And I look at myself and I'm going, God, I don't understand. I said, I'm grateful but I don't understand. And I, I go back to, I'm managing the miracle. I'm doing what's expected of me. So, uh, you know, my heart, everything is, is doing great. When I went back for a uh, heart in October, uh, they looked at me and they said, you have the blood pressure of a teenager. We like to end each episode with tell me something good. Today's something good is people who love you. Never forget how important the people who love you are, how much they want to help you, and the true joy that the people in our life bring us. 
Take a moment to truly feel thankful for the people who love you today. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of yourself.